Salo Flava, Malo Lile, Nisan Bulivanaka, Halo Olketa, Maori, Kiorana, Wa, Kiora Koto. I'm Leah from Cornerstone Church, um, and I'll be taking us through our reading now from Proverbs chapter 1, and we'll be reading the whole chapter. Um, and I'll just give you a moment to find that. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. For attaining wisdom and discipline, for understanding words of insight, for acquiring a disciplined and prudent life, doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the young, let the wise listen and add to their learning, and let the discerning get guidance for understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. Listen, my son, to your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. They will be a garland to your grace, to grace your head, and a chain to adorn your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, Do not give in to them. If they say, come along with us, let's lie and wait for someone's blood. Let's waylay some harmless soul. Let's swallow them alive like the grave and whole like those who go down to the pit. We will get all sorts of valuable things and fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot with us and we will share a common purse. My son, do not go along with them. Do not set foot on their paths, for their feet rush into sin. They are swift to shed blood. How useless to spread a net in full view of all the birds. These men lie and wait for their own blood. They waylay only themselves. Such is the end of all who go after ill-gotten gain. It takes away the lives of those who get it. Wisdom calls aloud in the street. She raises her voice in the public squares. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out in the gateways of the city she makes her speech. How long will you simple ones love your simple ways? How long will mockers delight in mockery and fools hate knowledge? If you had responded to my rebuke, I would have poured out my heart to you and made my thoughts known to you. But since you rejected me when I called and no one gave heed when I stretched out my hand, since you ignored all my advice and would not accept my rebuke, I, in turn, will laugh at your disaster. I will mock when calamity overtakes you, when calamity overtakes you like a storm, when disaster sweeps over you like a whirlwind, when distress and trouble overwhelm you. Then they will call to me, but I will not answer. They will look for me, but will not find me. Since they hated knowledge and did not choose to fear the Lord, since they would not accept my advice and spurned my rebuke, they will eat the fruit of their ways and be filled with the fruit of their schemes. For the waywardness of the simple will kill them, and the complacency of fools will destroy them. 
but whoever listens to me will live in safety and be at ease without fear of harm. In May last year, I, with 17 million other Australians, went to the polls. Everybody thought we were going to elect a new government and we re-elected the old one. You probably do that every three or four years here too. In 1967 of July, I changed government once and for all. I was brought to that position. Up to that point, it was self-government. I was in control. My peers were in control. But when God's Spirit came upon me and I really saw the Lord Jesus for who he is, I was brought to change government. Uh, the book of Proverbs and indeed all wisdom literature brings to us one question and every night I'll be looking at this question from a different angle because every night the same question will be dealt with. Who governs you? Do you govern yourself do your peers govern you or are you under the government of God himself? Uh, each morning when we wake up, we have some vitamins. Usually we have fish oil, we have some vitamin C and sometimes we have some turmeric and coenzyme Q10 and all that sort of thing. Uh, but we don't live as vitamins as part of our main diet. If I said to Maxine, what are we having for dinner? And she said, oh, we're having some vitamin C and D and a little bit of fish oil, if you're lucky. Uh, I think I'd be fairly disappointed about that. But Proverbs, I don't think, is the main diet. Uh, Proverbs is a reference work. Proverbs is meant to be taken often and in small doses. And I think Billy Graham got it right. His daily exercise was to read five chapters of the Psalms and one chapter of Proverbs. And for, that's 31 chapters. And for most months, he's going to read a chapter of Proverb a day before he did his other reading. A friend of mine's son was about to go off to university and before he put him on the train, he gave him a list of 30 proverbs, one to 30, each proverb written out, and he challenged his son every day that he was away to take the next consecutive proverb and read a proverb and then the next consecutive one every day just to think about it. Proverbs is often neglected. It's neglected because if you talk to Muslims and Hindus, they object to two books in the Bible. One, of course, the Song of Songs because it is too suggestive and the other one, Proverbs, because it is so ordinary. It doesn't have any of the big religious symbols uh, that other religious books should have. Proverbs is really very down to earth. I'm preaching at a conference later this year and the organiser said, what do you want to preach on? I said, Hebrews, Romans, Acts, John or Proverbs, thinking they'd take one of the first four. And they said, great, we'll take Proverbs because no one has ever offered to preach on that. And I thought, oh, great, I've got to organise that and, and prepare that. Um, uh, it's plain. There's no great emphasis here on the covenant. It's neglected because it lacks theological weight. It's neglected because it's not reflective like Psalms and Ecclesiastes. Uh, it's neglected because it feels contrary to experience. It says the righteous will always prosper, but the righteous doesn't always prosper. And it's neglected because it's not politically correct. 
in many ways, but in one way, in corporal punishment, it says the rod should be applied to the child to save the child from death. And so Proverbs, one writer says, is the deserted uh, book on the highway between Psalms and Ecclesiastes. So this is not common for us. And yet I believe that it is essential that we spend a week like this in equip looking at a book like this. Why? When we are so technologically developed, when we've got so much medical knowledge, when we've got so much knowledge of legal issues and of economics. Why? And I think the answer is that in the most basic level of our relationships and family life, we are still back in infant school and we need help on these very basic issues of life. How am I going to relate to people? How am I going to live my life? By what standards will I live my life? And along comes a book of Proverbs from God, which tells me what life is about, which shows me the true nature of things and says, live this way, for this is the way which will pay eternal dividends. Well, have a look at it here. Chapters 1 to 9, short, sharp, pity, two-line sayings. Uh, It's interesting, isn't it? If you look at chapters 1 to 9, it's a father and mother to a child and they're generally commands or imperatives, warnings, do this, don't do that. And then when we get to chapter 10 to 31, which we will uh, on Thursday night, you've got 700 proverbs, non-commands, reflections in the indicative mood. Uh, And I think, what are they, they, they're talking about reality. When I was in parish, I liked always every year to be dealing with some aspect of wisdom literature in the Bible because many people go around in church and say, we need uh, preaching that is more relevant. Proverbs and wisdom literature is always relevant because it is always talking about issues which are real to us. What is wisdom according to the Bible? According to the Bible, wisdom is reality. And it is living in harmony with reality. The wise person recognises reality and the wise person lives in harmony with reality. I remember many years ago, as a family, we were on the, uh, an Anglican conference centre in Bathurst, just outside of Sydney, and a place called Mount Panorama. Now, if you know anything about motor racing, you'll know that the Mount Panorama racing circuit is the most popular racing circuit in Australia. And at the top of the mountain, there are sharp S-bends. And all the weekend, the kids were saying, come on, Dad, let's get the car out and put it through the S-bends at the top of Mount Panorama. And finally, at the end of the weekend, we all drove up in the Toyota Tarago through the S-bends at Mount Panorama. And as I'm driving through the S-bends, I noted that they were very sharp. And if you missed one, it was a long way down. So I turned the car around and I started revving the engine up. I thought to myself, I've seen all the great motor rally drivers do this and I started revving the car up and I thought, no, wait on, I've not seen them do it in a Toyota Tarago (laughs) and I've not seen them do it with five children in the back and I've not seen them do it with their wife sitting next to them saying, don't you dare. (laughs) And so I took the S-Bends very slowly to which the children said, you're a wimp, Dad. (laughs) Yes, I was a wimp, but I was a wise wimp. Why? Because I recognise reality. I recognise the reality of the situation and I drove in harmony with the reality of the situation. And I took the S-Bends very slowly. Bridges, in his excellent commentary, calls Proverbs a guidebook and directory to godly conduct. 
Matthew Henry says, here is a complete body of Christian ethics. And the great English preacher Dick Lucas says, here is a book to keep you from making a fool of yourself in life. So it's very relevant. How do I live successfully? How do I live in a way which is good for me and pleasing to God? Is it a secular book? Is it a humanistic book? No. Because right at the very beginning, the author says that the core of reality is God. And he is the one who is to be harmonised with. And therefore, he begins that way. And the doorway into this book is that if you are going to come into this book and if you are going to benefit from this book, you need to come to reverence God. Well, let's get into the book, chapters one, uh, chapter 1, verses 1 to 7. The Proverbs of Solomon, verse 1, son of David, king of Israel. This is the king, and God said, ask whatever you will. He did not ask for wealth, he did not ask for long life, but he asked for a wise and discerning heart. And God gave him that wise and discerning heart. This is that Solomon. Now, he is the major author, but not the only author. There are other authors as well, but Solomon is the major author. Now, let's flip. Let's flip back to 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 32. 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 32. So you're flipping in your Bible or your device, whatever it is. We won't flip a lot, but we'll flip at least once every talk. In 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 32, it says of this Solomon... He spoke, 1 Kings 4.32, he spoke, now look at this, incredible, he spoke 3,000 proverbs and his songs numbered 1,005. He described plant life from the cedar of Lebanon to the hyssop that grows out of the walls. He taught about animals, birds, reptiles, fish. Men of all nations came to listen to Solomon's wisdom sent by the kings of the world who'd heard of his wisdom. He asked for wisdom and he got it. And his wisdom extended to understanding botany and biology, and all these things. And if you go over to chapter 10 of 1 Kings, the Queen of Sheba didn't send anybody to, to witness Solomon's wisdom. She came herself, 1 Kings chapter 10. She said, verse 6, to the king, 1 Kings 10, 6, she said to the king, the report I heard in my own country about your achievements and your wisdom is true, but I didn't believe these things until I came and saw with my own eyes. Indeed, not even half was told me in wisdom and wealth you have far exceeded the report I heard. How happy your men must be. How happy your officials who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. Praise be to the Lord your God who has delighted in you and placed you on the throne of Israel. Because of the Lord's eternal love for Israel, he's made you king to maintain justice and righteousness. Remarkable. We don't have his sayings about biology and zoology and animal life but we do have his moral wisdom and here it is in the book of proverbs but you say wait on mr preacher you're not going to pull the wool over my eyes turn over one page will you have a look at chapter 11 of 1 kings and verse 1 what do you say to that king solomon however loved many foreign women besides pharaoh's daughter moabites ammonites edomites sidonians and Hittites, Solomon's downfall is a warning to us. He was a man of great wisdom, and yet he wandered away. Does that affect and infect the integrity of the book? No. 
God's inspiration, under God's sovereign care. Every book in the Bible was written under God's oversight by an imperfect author. And Solomon was one of those imperfect authors. But we believe that the Spirit of God supervised their writing so that their writing was not infected by their imperfection. And such is the case with Solomon. Well, that's verse 1. Back to chapter Proverbs chapter 1, verse 1. Now, Solomon immediately tells you uh, two things this book will do for you. And notice in verse 2, it'll do something for your mind, for attaining wisdom and discipline, for understanding words of insight. So you can expect that the journey which begins this week will do something and it will enlighten your mind. But it will do more than that, because if you look there at verse 3, if for acquiring a disciplined and prudent life for doing what is right and just and fair. So you come to Proverbs and you will gain a God-ordering worldview and a God-ordering lifestyle. It will do something to my mind and something to my life. Well, who does it particularly apply to? Three kinds of people. Look at verse 4, for giving prudence to the simple. Who are the simple? The unintelligent? No. The simple might be highly intelligent, but the simple are basically those who are naive and inexperienced. And if you are in that category and you come to Proverbs, you will gain prudence. That is, you'll get the ability to make sound judgments. Only what you can get from experience, you will get that without having the experience because you've come to take Proverbs seriously. Verse 4, knowledge and discretion to the young. It's very dangerous to be young, isn't it? Because you're filled with energy and vigour and vim and you can make big mistakes. But if you are young and come to the book of Proverbs, it promises to give you both knowledge and discretion so that you know the way things work and you plan appropriately. And if you're sitting back there tonight saying, well, I'm not simple and I'm not young, what's Proverbs got for me? Look at verse 5. If you categorise yourself as one of the wise, let the wise listen. And what do the wise get out of Proverbs? They get addition. They will add to their learning and let the discerning get guidance. It's a wonderful introduction, isn't it? I don't know if you watched Billy Graham's funeral, but they had each of his children come and they were given three minutes to say something about their father. When Ned Graham got up, he was the youngest of the children... He said, each of my siblings has spoken far too long. We only had three minutes and they took far longer. I'll take far less. My father was fat. F-A-T. He was faithful, he was approachable and he was teachable. And Ned Graham sat down. That was his three minutes. But I can remember it. What makes a man who is 99 years of age so teachable? He read Proverbs. Every day of his life, he spent reading Proverbs. Now, dear friends, however you categorise yourself, as the wise, come here. As simple, come here. As young, come here. As simple and young, well, then you come here. And there's great benefit here. But look at the doorway. Look at verse 7. Because Proverbs starts with a verse like verse 7 of chapter 1. It ends in exactly the same way in chapter 31. And in the middle, there are peppered references just like this. The fear of the Lord, the affectionate reverence for God, the Lord, is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. The fear of the Lord. Don't 
you disregard God and go your own way, that is foolishness, that is out of step with reality, that is self-government, but the fear of the Lord, the affectionate reverence for God is the beginning of knowledge. So the question you ask yourself is, how am I governed? Am I governed by the promises, the warnings, the words of God? And it's interesting, you know, that when Proverbs 31 ends, and some of you are looking at Proverbs 31 in your strand groups, in the Hebrew canon, you've got the description of Proverbs 31 of the woman of great wisdom. And you know the next book that comes in the Hebrew scriptures? It's the book of Ruth. And so here is the description of the woman of wisdom, and here is the description of an actual woman of wisdom, the historical figure, Ruth. So Proverbs is all about wisdom. It's all about government. Psalms takes you into the temple and shows you how to worship God. Proverbs takes you into the street and shows you how to worship God in the street. You say, well, yes, I like Proverbs. It's lovely literature, isn't it? Such variety. When you read Proverbs, it sounds so good. I just don't like the God bit. And yet we've always done that. Adam and Eve did that. Here they were in the garden. Yeah, we want the garden. We just don't want God. We want the creation. We don't want the creator. We want wisdom. We want prudence. We want understanding. We don't want God. Have you ever had people say that something like that to you? I'd like a life like yours. I'd like a wife like yours. I'd like a family like yours. I'd like your approach to life. You need Jesus. Oh, don't talk to me about Jesus. But all these things are contingent upon Jesus. Increasingly in Australia, people are not getting married in church. They're having secular weddings. Increasingly in Australia, people are not getting buried in church. They are having secular funerals. And increasingly in Australia, we are seeing the emergence of ethics seminars. And all of these are people who are saying, we can do it as well as Christians. We can just do it without the God bit. But have you been to one of those things? They are hollow. They are deceptive. It's like sitting down to a meal of fairy floss. It looks good, but it's not there. It's like watching a game of rugby, two teams running at each other, but there's no ball. That's what it's like. It is empty. And so Proverbs comes to us and says, be governed by God. Be governed by reality. Bring your life in harmony with him. Don't be a fool. And that's the introduction. There are two voices. And now we're going to hear from one of those voices. Come with me to verse 8. You're going to hear from your peer group. See how verse 8 begins? It begins with a parent. Listen, my son, listen, my child, to a father's instruction and do not forsake your mother's teacher, teaching. Listen to me. Look at verse 10. My son, if sinners entice you, don't give in to them. There will be sinners who are going to entice you and they are going to seek to draw you away. And how are they going to do that? Look at verse 11. Come and join us. Let's, let's ambush someone. Let's get all sorts, verse 13, of valuable things. Throw in your lot with us. Let's share a common purse. Come on, it's easy money. We'll fill our houses with plunder. But the parent says, don't do it. Verse 6, their feet rush into sin. Verse 16, they are worse than birds. You don't set a trap for the bird so the bird can see because the bird will never go into the trap. But verse 18, they lie in wait for their own blood. 
they waylay themselves. Verse 19, greed for ill-gotten gain takes the lives of those who get it. My son, there's telling you a half-truth. In this case, they're offering you easy money. Tomorrow night, the same gang is going to be offering you easy sex. They're saying, come on, come with us. It's easy money. Don't think about the consequences. My son, they're only telling you a half-truth. And if you take the half-truth as though it's the whole truth, it's an untruth. Didn't the father of lies say to our parents, Adam and Eve, if you eat the fruit of that tree, you will not die? They ate the fruit of that tree and they did not die. It was half true. But their death would be inevitable. A half-truth, if you believe it is the whole truth, is actually an untruth. Put your career first. Give the priority, the clear priority to your education before everything else. Your business is the most important concern of your life. Put it first because that's the way to the good life. Yes, it's a half-truth. But a half-truth, if you believe it, is the full truth, is actually an untruth. You will reap immediate benefits, but in the long term, you may pay a big cost. Come along and join us. We'll look for some innocent soul. We'll belt them up. We'll take their goods. We'll share the purse. Our houses will be filled with plunder. You're going to come? You're going to come and join? Everybody's doing it. Don't you get on your high horse. Come along and join us. Well, look at verse 20. It's fascinating, isn't it? Because wisdom acts. Look at what wisdom does. Verse 20. She calls aloud. She, verse 20, raises her voice. Verse 21, she cries out. Verse 21, she makes her speech. But I just want you to notice where wisdom does that. She does it in the street. She does it in the public square. She does it in the noisy street. She does it in the shopping malls. She does it in the gateways. And have a look at to whom she appeals. Look at verse 20, 22. She appeals to the simple those who are naive. She appeals to the cynical mocker. She appeals to the fool who is governing himself. In fact, notice that it is all in direct speech. Look at verse 23. If you had responded to my rebuke, I would have poured out my heart to you and made my thoughts known to you. I'm appealing to you in the most public way. I'm appealing to you in the most inclusive way. If you are simple, a mocker or a fool, I'm appealing to you. And look at the response. Have a look at verse 24. She says, uh, but since you rejected me when I called you, no one gave heed when I stretched out my hand. It's incredible. Four times we are told that wisdom sings out and cries out and cries aloud. And now verse 24, four times. We are told that you rejected me, verse 24. No one gave heed, verse 24. 25, you ignored my advice. Verse 25, you would not accept my rebuke. Come and make easy money, says the gang. Everything has consequences. I'm calling to you four times and four times you've rejected me. And everything has consequences. Verse 26, in turn, I will laugh at your disaster. I will mock when calamity overtakes you, when calamity overtakes you like a storm, when disaster sweeps over you like a whirlwind. 
when distress and trouble overwhelm you? Be warned. Wisdom is available. God is speaking to you. But you're ignoring and going the other way in your pathetic self-government. But look at verse 28. Because no longer does God talk about you, but he's talking about them. Verse 28, they will call to me, they, but I will not answer. They will look for me, but they will not find me. Since they hated knowledge and did not choose to fear the Lord, since they would not accept my advice and spurn my rebuke, they will eat the fruit of their ways and be filled with the fruit of their schemes. For the waywardness of the simple will kill them and the complacency of fools will destroy them. God is not endlessly patient. He appeals but he will all not always be available. Do not presume on him. Today is the day to change government. Today is the day to bring yourself under the rule of God himself. Theologians call this the passive judgment of God, whereby he simply leaves us to the fruit of our choice. And that's the point here, isn't it? That's the object lesson. Look at verse 31. Look at what happened. They will eat the fruit of their ways. They will be filled with the fruit of their schemes. It's like the adolescent who shakes his fist at his parents and says, I never want to see you again. And the parent's ultimate judgment is, well, you never will see us again. They leave him to the fruit of his choice. Wisdom speaks to the many. Verse 33, but whoever listens to me will live in safety and be at ease without fear of harm. Wisdom speaks to the many, but only some will listen. See, dear friends, we haven't come along here to have a good laugh tonight, have we? This is serious. It's not some philosophical issue. It's how you're going to live your life. And the reality is that when you go to university, there are two voices there. There's the voice of God's wisdom, and then there's the voice of the game. And when you go to school, there are two voices there. There's the voice of the, the parents and wisdom, and then there's the voice of the game. And when you get into the office, there are two ways. And in your own personal life, there are two voices. And if you get around, for example, ever meet a prison chaplain, say to him, what's it like? I hear two words over and over again wherever I go in the prison, and they are the words, if only. If only. And go and speak to an experienced pastor who is often at the deathbed of his people. And what will he say? He will say, I often hear two words. If only. And there's a very prominent sportsman in Australia whose life is a complete wreck now. And when he was interviewed, he said, if only I had listened to a different group ten years ago. If only I had followed a different way. If only. See, here's this chapter, an introduction. It promises to do something to your mind, something to your life. It promises to you who are simple, to you who are young, to you who are wise. But it says it all begins with the fear of the Lord. And it says immediately you're going to be struck by your peers and they're going to offer you easy money. But God will speak in the midst of that. And he warns you. 
that if you reject and don't listen to his speech, if you say, oh, I'm too sophisticated for that or I'm too intelligent for that sort of thing or I'm too independent, oh, I'm sure of myself, I don't need that, then God says, here is the first awesome lesson of Proverbs for you. Verse 33, but whoever listens to me will live in safety and be at ease without fear of harm. Well, that's the introduction. Easy money. Tomorrow, it's easy sex. Let me conclude. Let me conclude by saying just two things. First, Christianity is all about grace. God's favour, contrary to my deserving. What do I need in order to be saved? You need to be a sinner. Do you qualify? Of course you do. See, your morality doesn't qualify you to be saved and your immorality doesn't disqualify you from being saved. I once had a young man in one of our churches say to me, can you tell me the three steps that I have to take in order to get grace? I don't know why he chose three. I said, do you see, if you take one, two or three steps, that's not grace anymore because you've automatically earned it. There's no steps to grace. One night when we were in the country parish at two o'clock in the morning, we were broken into. I went out the back and found the man out in one of our back rooms I opened the door, he'd broken into our home, my heart was in my chest as I opened the door and he's standing there. He said, I'm in the wrong house, am I? I said, you certainly are in the wrong house and I'm going to ring the police and put you in. Oh, he said, please don't do that, please be merciful, Father. He knew who I was. I said, I will be merciful. God's been merciful to me and I'll be merciful to you. What is mercy? Mercy is withholding the punishment that you deserve. You know what he said? He said, oh, thanks very much, Father. Wouldn't have $10 on you, would you? (laughs) Help him on his way. You see, if mercy is withholding the punishment you deserve, grace is giving you that which is contrary to your desert. And so he was asking me to be gracious. But that is exactly what God has done. He is gracious. There is no ground in your relationship with God. There is no ground as you walk in wisdom under the government of the Lord Jesus for superiority because we didn't deserve it. Wisdom comes to you not because you're intelligent. Wisdom comes to you not because you're rich and you can afford to talk to wisdom who is an isolated guru. No, wisdom is free. Wisdom's on the street corner. It's in the marketplace. Wisdom's there. Will you take it? I heard recently the chairman of a boys' school in Sydney say our goal is that every boy in this school comes on their knees before God so they can stand tall before the world. All by grace. Come on your knees before God. You qualify because all you need to do to get God's wisdom is to know that you're a fool. To know that you're sinful. And you need to leave your foolish ways and live. Well, second, if that is the foundation of wisdom, grace, where is wisdom to be found? How can I understand life? The Proverbs writer says, if you're going to understand life, you must understand God. How can I understand God? The New Testament writer says, if you're going to understand God, you must understand Jesus. How can I understand Jesus? The New Testament tells us, if we are to understand Jesus, 
we must understand his cross. The cross is the key to Jesus. Jesus is the key to God. God is the key to life. Therefore, if I'm to understand wisdom and if I'm to understand life, I must understand the cross. It is at the cross that I see clearly the reality with which I must harmonise. And isn't that what the Apostle Paul is saying in these mornings in 1 Corinthians? That the truly wise person is the person who understands the cross. And one of the most wise statements which the Apostle Paul said is that I have been crucified with Christ. He understood the cross because he understood that when Jesus died for him, Paul died on that cross with Jesus. And it is the essence of foolishness that the fool says there is no God and the fool lives as though Jesus never died on the cross, as though the cross never happened. If you, therefore, want to come and see reality in its purest form, its most obvious form, you need to come to the cross because that is the only place where God will meet you and he will meet you on his terms at the cross. And you must realise how greatly you are loved, how tragic to go through life not knowing that you're loved, but the cross tells you how greatly you are loved. And at the cross you see what your sin cost God, that it was no flippant, easy matter. It cost him the life of his son, the Lord Jesus. And at the cross I see what my pattern for life is. He dies for me so that the life I have, I live for him. It is by grace, it is undeserved. It is God's favour to us and it is seen most clearly in the cross of his son. And so someday if you come to Sydney, come to the Sydney Cricket Ground. Come to the museum and you'll see in the museum the cricket bat of the great Christian missionary C.T. Studd who played for England. Studd went through Cambridge University. He stood to inherit a huge estate called Tedworth House. But when he came to know Christ, he turned his back on that and he went as a missionary to India, China and finally to Africa. And if you look at his biography written by his son-in-law, you will see that there is a picture of Tedworth House which he left behind to go and live and the pencil drawing of the shack that he lived in in Africa. And Studd, of course, was asked, why? Why would you leave that for this? And Studd's famous response, the words of the wise, if Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. The foundation of wisdom is grace. That's how you get it. Where is reality most clearly seen? The cross. How do I harmonise and have this wisdom? Come to the cross. Get on your knees before the cross and stand tall before men. Verse 22, how long will you simple ones love your simple ways? How long will mockers delight in mockery? How long will you fools hate knowledge? Come to me, all who labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your souls. Wisdom received by grace, true wisdom, lives in the life of understanding the cross of Jesus. Dear friends, are you governed tonight by God and his words and his promises and his warnings? 
Or are you governed by your peers and what others think? Are you governed by yourself? Let's pray. We thank you, our Heavenly Father, for not only giving Solomon a wise and discerning heart, but for preserving his moral wisdom, your word to us. We thank you for the stark choice which is presented to us between wisdom and folly, between you and the gang, the peer, others who would lead us away to easy money. Thank you that wisdom is so freely available. Thank you that she calls out and cries out wherever we are. Deliver us from the folly, Heavenly Father, of ignoring her and trusting in our own puny intelligence. Thank you for the promise that whoever, whoever listens to me will live in safety and be at ease without fear of harm. We thank you for this truth in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen.